expecting a man who has spoken into my life significantly uh, in the years that I've been here, and even by his uh, reputation in the years prior to that uh, through connections with the church that we were at before that. And uh, I won't make it too flowery, uh, but uh, please welcome Dave Baker. Um, thank you. I say that to those who have gathered here in the room, and I also say that those, to those who are streaming in. So, good morning. Andy's been doing a series on the values of Lakeland Vineyard, and uh, he got sick, and he didn't want to contaminate anybody. Um, you ever, have you noticed lately how squirrely we get? when we go out and you have to cough or something and people are looking like, oh, she got it? She got it? Uh, kind of thing. And so he didn't want to uh, come. He, he, he does not have COVID-19. He's just sick. And chances are as we go into the flu season, that's going to happen a lot. And so uh, just walk in, in wisdom and not fear. He's been doing the, the series on values of, of Lakeland Vineyard, and I'm going to continue that series. Uh, he's covered, uh, we will worship with all that we are. We create space for community. And last week he spoke about our address matters. This morning I'm going to address, we love the capital C church, and we are spiritual contributors not consumers. Uh, before I do that, though, I, I, want us, I want us to pray. Josh already touched on it a little bit, but I really want to pray for our nation. Uh, there is an incredible polarization uh, in our nation. And, you know, whether um, you like the president-elect or not, that's beside the point, really. I thought he made a good point uh, when he spoke, and he said, healing needs to take place in America. And that's, that's true. Across the board, you, you see there's an underlying anger and bitterness that's just there. You, you see, you've seen it uh, through the, the protests that weren't really protests, they were riots. And those kind of things. That's, that's what we're seeing. And so we really need to pray. And I, I want to pray that, that you do that. And, and I've seen, I want to tell you this, I have seen some absolutely appalling things on the Internet put out there by Christians. Absolutely appalling. And some, I would have to say this, were close to being Demonic. It's just, just very d discouraging. And so I, I want us to pray because we're going we're gonna to talk this morning about the Capital C Church. And we're going to talk about us being contributors rather than consumers. So I, I really want us to pray uh, together. Jesus, the first passage that I'm going to use this morning, you said, I will build my church. I'm thankful that you are building your church. And that we're just a part of that. And, and the part that we're to play in, in the building process that, that you've placed us in is to be witnesses. Witnesses to the world that, Jesus, you really make a difference. That you're bigger than our differences. You're bigger than our understandings. And so I, I really do pray in, in this 
time, troubled time, so many things going on, that you would come because you're the Prince of Peace and you'd use your church to speak peace into our world. That you'd calm troubled hearts. That you would allow your kingdom to rule and reign as we, your people, follow hard after you. And so, like we're encouraged in in the book of Hebrews, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. There's so many things that can distract us from the main thing. And so we say, help us fix our eyes on you. Help our ears to be attentive to what you say. And may you, as a result, be glorified as you work in and through your church, I pray. Amen. This morning, uh, the first one that I'm going to address is we love the capital C church. And under that it says we are a small part of something big. We know when the local churches partner together, there is a greater impact in our community. We are better together. And so the first scripture that I would like us to look at this morning, focus on, is found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah and or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Now, there, is, there could be a lot that we could unpack there, but we're not going to unpack all that this morning. What we're going to do is concentrate on some words. And one is church, and the other is kingdom of heaven. Now, some of you that know a, a little bit of Greek know that the word church is ecclesia. And that's a common term for the meeting of the ecclesia toy. Now, you go, okay, what, what does that mean? Well, it means the people that are called, those who are called out, those who are assembled. And if you know about the Gospels, this is the only place in the Gospels that that word appears. Now, throughout the New Testament, it appears over a hundred times, but this is the only place in the Gospels that, that it appears. And some interpret it church, and some interpret it assembly. And you'll see that if you have different translations of, of the Scripture. Now, the term that's used there is all who are called by and to Christ into fellowship of his salvation, and it's seen two ways. The church worldwide, which is the capital C church, and the second is the individual fellowships or churches. Now, it's, it's worth noting that that word is never used in Scripture to refer to heathen religion, assemblies, or congregations. It only refers to the gathered people of God. It should also be noticed, noted that the terms the church, and the other one that I talked about is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, are distinguished in Scripture. The kingdom of God refers not to a realm, but to the rule 
and reign of God. And that rule and reign is seen in the church. The church is not the kingdom. The church is the place where the kingdom is seen in a visible form. It has come and it's available to all mankind. And Andy, in a, in a few weeks, he's going to address the Sermon on the Mount. And that deals with that. That the kingdom of God is available to all humanity. See, it doesn't matter race, ethnic background, any of that. The kingdom of God is available to all mankind. Now, the kingdom of God refers to the rule and reign of God rather than a realm. I mentioned that. And the church is the realm in which the kingdom of God or his rule and reign takes place. This means that the message of the church is that the rule and reign, the kingdom of God, has come and is available to all mankind. Although these two ideas are distinct, they're almost inseparable and complementary. By the words, kingdom of God is referring to not so much his disciples individually or collectively, but he's talking about their reception and participation in the rule and reign of God. And that's important for us to understand. Therefore, the kingdom of God is visibly represented by the church. And the church represents the kingdom of heaven insofar as it has already come. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus said it's at hand. It is here now. This prepares us for the reality of the kingdom that is to come in all its fullness when Jesus comes back. That's the idea of the now and not yet of kingdom reality. In other words, right now we experience the kingdom because Jesus works through the church and it impacts people. But the fullness of that reality, when sin will be no more, when death will be wiped out, when there will be no more tears, occurs when Jesus comes back and the kingdom is realized in all of its fullness. It's important to notice that Jesus said, I will build what? My church. He didn't say, I'm going to build churches. He said, I will build my church. And that is in the singular. So Jesus, what he's doing is building one church. Now, how many of us know that that church is expressed in many different ways? Right now, it's an, and you know why that is? Because it's got human beings in it like you and I. And we have different thoughts and different ideas. And so there are many expressions of one church. It'd be like this. There are many tributaries <clears throat> that would form a river. And that's exactly the situation when it comes to the church. And so Jesus is only building one church. And collectively, all those who are expressions of him form that church. It's interesting. The other day in the mail... I, I got this, well, no, it, it, excuse me, it was an email. And somebody sent me and it says, is my church a New Testament church? And I, I think it was 10 pages long. And what it did is it defined the New Testament church. And it eliminated some of the other expressions of, of the church. And I want you to know something. There is absolutely no church out there that is absolutely the New Testament church. There's, that there's only one model out there, and if you don't fit within that model, then you're not a New Testament church. The reality is this. It isn't about form. It's about function. You, you understand, in, in the Scriptures, it doesn't say, this is the form, this is the structure. And so when I, when I read that, I said, I sent back to my friend, and I said, it's very thought-provoking. Because what else could I say? Because he's determined that's what a New Testament church looks like. What I want to ask is, okay, is your church 
doing what the church was made to do, what it was created to do. If it's doing what it's created to do, and Jesus Christ is Lord, and the work of of the kingdom is taking place, then that is the church, rather than form and structure. Now, what does, what kind of church is Jesus building? That's an important question for us to to ask. And so let's take a look at Acts 1.8 to find out what kind of church he is building. It says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This verse, these, this verse indicates that ch- the church that he is building was birthed by the Spirit. You understand that? Now we're talking about the capital C church. And so biblically, biblically that means that every church is Pentecostal, and it's charismatic. And you go, oh, no, 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 that can't be. I said, biblically, every church and is Pentecostal and charismatic at its roots. You know what that means? That means that every gift and every fruit of the Spirit mentioned in the New Testament is available to the church, the capital C church. You know what happened though, don't you? Abuse took place. And scriptures have been misinterpreted or misapplied. And so people moved away from that which was the church. I'll give you an example. You may not know this. But the Church of the Nazarene, its original name was the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene. But when Pentecostalism became a reality at the turn of the 20th century, they didn't want anything to do with that, and so they shortened their name to the Church of the Nazarene. But they don't, what they don't understand is, okay, you can shorten the name. It doesn't change what God wants to do. Now, it can hinder what He wants to do, but it won't ever eliminate what He wants to do. And that's important for us to, to understand. I was preaching for a friend of mine at a Presbyterian church, and I told him this. Every church is Pentecostal and charismatic. Now, they didn't stone me at the time, but I said, biblically, that's the truth. And because it's been abused or misunderstood or, or misinterpreted, doesn't eliminate the truth. So, we can see throughout history, God has moved by His Spirit in the past, in the present, and He's going to move in the future. There are going to be spiritual awakenings. God birthed the church in the Spirit. He will continue to maintain the church in the Spirit, and people's lives will continue to be changed by the Spirit. And that's why we we see these renewals that take place. Now, did you notice why the church is empowered? Why are we empowered? To be witnesses. What kind of witnesses? Well, empowered witnesses. Somebody asked me the other day, said, uh, Vineyard, what is that exactly? I said, well, we're empowered evangelicals. And they look at you like a deer in the headlights. Well, what exactly is that? I said, well, we believe in Jesus and the church that he's building, and he's empowered his church 
to do his activities. And that's what, that's what we believe. And, and so that, that's what Jesus is doing. The church is the capital C church. And, and you understand what's, when I'm talking about the capital C church and I'm talking about individual fellowships and even when I'm talking about the believers, that really everything that I'm going to say applies to all three. And so, okay, the church that he's building is empowered. And the church that he's building is made up of different parts. So, in 1 Corinthians, we find chapter 12, verses 12 through 14, we find these words. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts. Now, that applies to the capital C church, which is made up of lots of fellowships, and those fellowships come together to form one body. Not numerous bodies, but, but one body. And like I said, the same can be applied to individual fellowships and to the individual that make up those fellowships. A similar understanding is found in Ephesians. It says there, he makes the whole body fit together as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This means that every church and every member has an important role in ensuring that the body of Christ is healthy, is growing, and is full of love. Therefore, each local congregation, we're not in competition with each other. And we've we got to understand that. See, what happens is, if we get competitive, then if this church has a program, then we have to have that same program, or one very similar to it. That shouldn't be the case. If somebody has that program and it's going well, then we should participate with them in that program. Every church doesn't need to have a food pantry. There are those that have the facilities and can do that, but not every church needs to do that. Maybe we can contribute to that and be a part of that. So what that means is that there's a capital C church encompasses all the local churches. That's why we've gotten together with other local churches and had dinner together at the Medela Civic Center. That, that, that's why uh, we've participated in Good Friday service down the road at Redeemer Presbyterian. Let me give you a, a real good example that occurred for me two weeks ago. I've been praying with a group of pastors from different denominations for about 20 years. And last two weeks ago, well, the pastor, Jim Hatch of First Presbyterian, uh, he told me before they uh, went on vacation that his wife, Kathy, had been diagnosed with ALS. And they were going to, on their way to, on vacation, they were going to stop at the Mayo Clinic up in Jacksonville and, and see, okay, was that a correct diagnosis? And then they came back and, and they went over to a USF Medical Center there and it was diagnosed that, yes, she indeed has ALS. And, and what they said to him is, you need to get your uh, affairs in order and make memorable times together. Because how many of you know this? There is absolutely no cure for ALS. And I was talking to Jim the other day, and he said, you know, it, it's not like if you have cancer, 
you can go here and they can do this treatment, they can do radiation, they can do chemo. ALS, there's nothing they can do. And so that's the situation. And so what he did two weeks ago, he sent out a, um, a text to all the pastors that in Bartow, because that's where we meet, and those of us who else go there were invited to come. And what he did was he was going to invoke uh, James 5, 14, and 15 that I taught on a couple weeks ago, or more. I can't remember now. But anyway, that I taught on it. And, and so what the elders did, they came together and we prayed. We laid hands on her, we anointed her with oil, and, and we prayed over her. And it was very interesting. You get a, a feel for the body of Christ because there were black Pentecostals there. There were white Pentecostals there. There were Episcopalian there. There were Baptists there. There were United Methodists there. There were Reformed Presbyterians there. There was a vineyard guy there. And we prayed over Kathy. Now, I wish I could tell you that she went back to the doctor immediately and ALS was gone. I, no, I don't know what, what the results is at this point. But to me, that was a great glimpse into the capital C church doing what we're called to do. And it was, it was very exciting. I was glad to be a part of that. So that, that's the capital C church and why it's important. Now, let's just take a look at our value. We are spiritual contributors, not consumers. The church does not exist for us. We are the church. We exist for the world. I want to read that part again. The church does not exist for us. We are the church. We exist for the world. Well, then the first question we have to address is, how do members of the church become spiritual contributors? If that's our value, then how does that take place? The answer is found in Ephesians 4, 12, and 13. It says this, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not there yet. We were singing that song about that we run to him and he runs to us. Sometimes I, I get the feeling he has to run after me because I'm not nearly as obedient as I should be. And my life doesn't represent him the way it should. We were, you know, I'm teaching a small group on Hebrews and there's one verse that we were talking about in there and it says this, because Jesus is our high priest, he, our sins have been done away with. I want you to hear that. When the enemy comes at you with something that you've repented of, it isn't there. You understand that? It's not there. He's already scrubbed the tapes. He's already wiped out the disc. It's not there. And so when he says those things to you, you've got to say, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't let him pile guilt and shame on you at all. Because it, those things are no longer there. Now, what these two verses do is indicate the function of church leadership. You know what that function is? According to Scripture there, according to that passage. It's to equip the saints or the people of God to do what? 
to do ministry. The ministry of the local church and the, even the capital C church is in the hands of the people who make up those fellowships. Andy's function. Jen and Jamie's function. Jen, my daughter-in-law's function, is to equip. Equip children, equip teenagers, and equip adults, adults to do the work of ministry. It is not their function to do all the ministry. Now, where that got filed up, I don't know, but it is filed up. Because people feel like, well, you get paid to do ministry. No, they get paid to equip so that we can do ministry, so that you and I can do ministry. The ministry of the church takes place by the people who make up the church. And that's you and me. That's why there's a common expression in Vineyard. Everybody plays. Here's the question I have for you. Are you still on the sidelines? Are you waiting for the coach to say, get in there? I want to tell you something. According to Matthew 28, he's already said, get in there and do the work of ministry. And so you're not called here to be a consumer. And that's a horrible thing that's happened in the church. And what happens is, well, hey, Lakeland Vineyard doesn't have a really good and dynamic youth group, I'll send them over here. Lakeland Vineyard doesn't have this, doesn't have that. So I'm going to go, you know, the worship at Lakeland Vineyard is horrible. And so I'm going to go where they got a big band and they can play the songs that I like. My question is, why aren't you doing what God's called you to do where he's placed you? See, he places us in. What did Andy speak about last week? Address matters. And so if you're here, I want you to know something. It matters. You're not here by accident. And that goes for you folks that are streaming in. You're not streaming in just by accident. God's called you to a location and he wants to use you and your gifts and your abilities to accomplish his purposes in this local fellowship. Okay? So what kind of spiritual maturity is to be expected and anticipated in the church? To answer that question, I want us to look at John 14, verses 12 through 14. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Jesus ministered in the power of the Spirit. And that's the same kind of ministry that he's called us to. That we are to minister in the power of the Spirit. What did it say in Acts 1.8? You'll receive what? Power. Dunamis. From God. And you will be my empowered witnesses in the world in which you live. Did you notice that Jesus said, only the elite can participate in my activity? Did he say that? What did he say? 
Anyone. I want to ask you a question. How many anyones are in here? If you're an anyone, I want you to raise your hand. Okay. I see a lot of anyones. I hope we got that on tape so that we can play that back. Put it on, put it up here. There are a bunch of anyones in here. And let me ask you, anyones, what can you do? What can you do? Anything Jesus did. Is that what he said? He said, anyone. And he said, and he said this. And you can ask, what? Anything in my name and what? I'll do it. Now there's a qualifier there. And the qualifier is this. Ask in his name. With his intentions, with his purposes, what he desires to do, and he will do it. Do you think Jesus was under duress when he said this? Do you think he meant what he said? Do you? Then guess what? The church represents him and is going to do what he did in the culture we live in. In the culture that we live in, we're going to do what Jesus did. So there are two more common phrases in the vineyard. And here, here they are. Is we are empowered evangelicals. And the second one is we do the stuff. Now, Here's the rub in that. Those are only phrases if we don't do them. Who cares if you're an empowered evangelical and you don't exemplify any power? Who cares? Who cares if you say we do this stuff, but you never do anything of the kingdom? You never do anything that Jesus does. Well, you say, well, that was Jesus. I want to tell you that the same Spirit that enabled Jesus to do ministry is the same Spirit that He filled us with. And so what He did, we can do because He's enabled us to do that. Not only did He give us the power, the dunamis, but He gave us the authority to do those things in His name. Alright? So that's what we do. We're spiritual contributors. We do what Jesus did. Alright? Well, what else makes us spiritual contributors? I want us to look at two final scriptures. The first is in Hebrews 10. 23 to 25, it says this, says this, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promises. What can God be? Trusted to keep His promises. Let us think of ways then to motivate one another to acts of love and, and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return draws near. Now, if when the author to Hebrews wrote that and the day of his return was getting closer, how much closer do you think it is today? And so what he's saying to them, he would apply to us. Since it's closer then we have to be about his business and join him in what he's doing. And so what, so what that is saying is that we are spiritual contributors by holding on to the promises that God has given us. We walk in those. We live in those. Also, we're spiritual contributors by motivating one another to acts of love and good works. That's what we do. We motivate one another. And then finally, we're spiritual contributors by faithfully meeting together. And COVID-19 doesn't stop that. 
We're meeting together here in this place, and we're meeting together via the Internet. At no time in history would we have thought that such a thing could take place, but it is taking place. And I want to tell you, it's just as powerful for those who are joined with us through the Internet as it is here. All right, the second scripture, the final scripture for this morning is found in Romans 14, 17 through 19. Paul says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat and drink, but of living a good, a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then let us, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Now Andy, see, he can put his iPad down here, but see, my contact tells me I have to be within 10 or 11 inches. And so that's why I have to hold it up here. Because if it help, I have it down there, I have to guess what I said. So we are spiritual contributors by living lives of goodness, peace, and joy through the Holy Spirit. Our lives are to exemplify the inward work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, our outward life is a result of the inward work of what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through us. Secondly, we are spiritual contributors by functioning harmoniously in the church. How many of you know that there's unity in diversity? That he didn't make each one of us exactly the same as the other. If I were to give you a theological quiz this morning, I guarantee you it would cover the spectrum. And the reality is, I, in fact, I told somebody this one time. I said, you know, the beauty of now of my position is I'm just a person in the congregation. So I can hold tightly to the things that I believe. But when you're a pastor and you're affiliated with a particular group, you have to hold to the things they believe. I had a very good friend, a, a doctor in fact, um, and he taught at a, a particular place and he came to this reality about the rapture. Now, here's what I know. The rapture is going to take place. But I just don't know when or how. But I know it's going to take place. But the particular group that he was with, they had a particular understanding of how it was going to take place and when it was going to take place. And so, because he focused on that one thing, he lost his position. And what I wanted to say is, really? Was it really that important? Because how many of you know you don't know when it's going to take place? And so you go, well, okay, I can live with that and understand people have different ideas. One day I was at Home Depot, and I got stopped by a brother that used to attend here. And he said, um, what's your understanding of the end times? I said, well, I'd share it with you, but I don't think you're going to like what I have to say. And I left it at that. Because I knew what he thought was going to take place. And it wasn't the same thing that I think is going to take place. And so I thought, why do this here in Home Depot and get him upset with me? Let's just be upset apart. You know, <laughs> that I have an understanding, you have an understanding. Let's just, let's just go with that. Because none of us have a complete understanding. 
In fact, what's it say in 1 Corinthians 13? We all only see in part. And so what can happen is we think we got the whole. And you know what that's called? That's called putting God in a box. I'm going to say it nicely. That's putting God in a box. Now, how many of you in here want to put God in a box? Nobody. But you know what? We do. I guarantee you, we do. And what, what you'll find out is that some things that you held dear, I mean, when I got, first got saved, I had, I had these ideas of what God did. And you know what he did? He just started tearing those things apart. And I found out, boy, God, you are mysterious, and your ways are beyond my understanding. So when you say, oh, God, just do whatever you want to do, be prepared for him to do what he wants to do. And sometimes you may not appreciate what he wants to do. I know that for a fact. He started doing some things in my life that, really, I know I told you, God, that you could do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it, but why now? And why like that? Well, you gave me permission. You said I could do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it, and I want to do it. So we're to build up and encourage one another. So now, what are the takeaways from what I just went over about the Capital C Church and, and, and the local church? What are those Capital C takeaways? I'm going to give you seven of them because that's the perfect number. Now, it's just... It doesn't encapsulate everything. It's just what I came up with, okay? The church, both collectively and individually, consists of all those who are called by and to Christ in the fellowship of His salvation. You might have heard me say this one time when I was preaching. I was, I was teaching a Sunday school class in a different church in a different denomination. And I had a student in there that was very opinionated and dogmatic. And I forget what the subject was we were talking about that day, but he began to take off on a local pastor that he did not appreciate. And I said to him, I said, well, let's take this discussion after class. Well, he said, you know, I just don't believe he's a Christian. I said, why, why is that? Well, I just don't. I said, well, I hate to tell you this, but if he knows the Lord Jesus Christ and he has a relationship with him, guess what? He's in. He's a Christian. So let's take this up later. And what, which we did. In fact, I had to go to the uh, director of Christian Ed and I said, okay. Because this happened over and over. I said, one of two things has got to happen here. Either I step down as teacher, or you move him to a different class. I mean, because I wasn't going to week after week after week deal with that. I knew I wasn't going to change his mind. And, and the same young man... <laughs> This is comical at this point. He came up to me and he said, you're not a prophet. I said, I know. <laughs> I never said I was. It's just amazing. So anyway, back to the takeaways. 
The second takeaway is the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God that takes place in and is seen through the church capital C and through the local fellowships and through the members. Number three, the church was birthed by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, every church, capital C, little c, members, is in empowered witness, sharing about Jesus in every opportunity we are afforded. And by witness, I mean this, doing what Jesus did and then living out that life, because he did both, didn't he? He did the things that God was doing, and he lived out that life. He exemplified what it meant to be spirit-empowered and spirit-led. Five, as followers of Christ, we are to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Six, it's very important for the church to meet, fellowship, and worship together. How many of you know that there are unique things that happen in the gathered church that cannot happen when you're alone. The church was never created to be a bunch of lone rangers. We need each other. Finally, the Holy Spirit empowerment is seen by the world in the way that we do the works of Jesus and in the way we live. Now this morning, I want to give a benediction. Is that okay? I'm retired. I, I can do it, right? Here it is. It's, it's from Jude. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into His glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to Him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are His before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. Did you, did you see a word that is repeated in there several times? All glory be to Him in the church. All glory be to Jesus. All glory be to the Father. Stand with me.